When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now we begin today on a sad note because you will have heard on our news over the new year that on New Year's Day, actually, the uh, word was announced and the news came to us, sadly, that Liam Riley, the legendary Liam Riley, singer, songwriter, bagatelle, you just mentioned the word, you think of Liam Riley, had passed away suddenly and unexpectedly at his home. And we had a lot of people reacting to it over the weekend and we're going to talk about Liam and pay tribute to him and remember him over the next while. But first, let's go back to 2014. To be precise, the 22nd of May 2014, when Liam Riley and Ken, yes, the uh, famous Ken, the uh, bass player uh, with Bagatelle as well, Ken Doyle, was in the late lunch studio here with Ken Murray, who was sitting in for me. I think I was off fishing at the time. What else would I be doing in May? Anyway, Liam and Ken were in. And I've listened back to that interview earlier today. And I want to, to have a listen to Liam talking about his growing up. I was brought up at a housing estate in Fatima in Dundalk until I was about 16 and we moved to the Avenue Road. I went to school on Bosch, so in primary school and started playing the harmonica there. And then accordion, and I won several All-Ireland titles playing accordion and piano and flat on Ireland. No, I went to uh, Rory, Rory Kennedy and his deceased, and Brendan Gawkin is thankfully still alive. And we ent- uh, entered All-Ireland accordion and Kelly Band competitions, we were very successful. So I won th- my first one when I was 13 in 1967 in Enniscorthy. Yeah, well, my dad was a good instrumentalist when he was a kid, and my mum still singing, sings in choir, and she's 80, 80 something. When we were about 16 and 17, myself and Kevin and Christy and the late John Jordan and Jim Coyle found a band called Changes, and we we just played the local circuit and mad into the Beatles and all the usual David Bowie and learned everything, 10cc, the BGs, all that stuff. And a phone call from America said, send the lad over. And the old fella said, I wouldn't do any harm. Take me away from the city and leave me to where I can be on my own. Everybody's really kind of stunned and a bit numb because um, it wasn't expected, you know, it's just totally out of the blue. And uh, I mean, Liam was a, an amazing musical force. He really was. He had uh, he was gifted in, as a musician. He was gifted as a singer. And he was also gifted as a great songwriter. You know, he's a huge, he had, a, had an awful lot going for him. I mean, he was uh, he wasn't one of these people that would barge into the room and demand her. He wasn't this. No, he was quite a quiet enough guy about it, you know. But I can tell you one thing. If you brought in a song or an idea, and he got his hands on it, he would turn it into a masterpiece. He just had this amazing understanding of music, you know, really seriously, serious good understanding of music. As did our founding father, the late John O'Brien, 
And when the two of them got together, they were an unbelievable musical force. It was an honour to be on stage with those guys, you know. When I first heard Liam playing, he said he writes a couple of songs, and he played Summer in Dublin to me on an out-of-tune piano in uh, John O'Brien's house, who started the band. And uh, I remember saying to him, when he finished, did you write that? And he said to me, yeah, why? I said, do you not like it or something? And I said, I do, it's not Baby I Love You, it's, it's very interesting, you know, like I know all the places you're singing about, because I'm from Bray and Dunleary and that's just up the road. And um, he was delighted that I liked it, because at the time, he or I or nobody knew what that song would turn into. But I did it immediately. But the first time I ever heard Liam sing when he auditioned for us, I tell you, 30 seconds in, I realised this is a special guy. You could tell he was special. I mean, if you take in the songs like the second violin, Love is the Reason, I mean, just so many to mention. It's also worth mentioning that their greatest hits, Gold, the best of Bagatelle, was actually Platinum's album, one of the biggest, uh, greatest hits. Uh, certain albums in Ireland and such. And obviously I, I asked Liam about all these achievements. Not only himself and Ken Doyle, Ken has obviously been there with from the start, from 78 onwards. So he was humble about it. And it's, it's, um, it's, it, it'll be poignant to me now. Every time I, you know, if I'm uh, at home or I hear someone in Dublin in, in, in town or on, on, on my radio, I'm privileged to know that I, that I wrote a book about the band and obviously about that song. And you, you know, it's um, it, it's it's lovely. It's bittersweet, I suppose, to hear, you know, you know, so many so many radio stations and people and papers talking about it. But um, he was a privilege to know the band were absolutely uh, superb to work with as well. I would also say that I was asked on many times, uh, are the are the band still doing stuff? And you know what, they can sell out the likes of the Cork Opera House, Vicar Street, the Millennium Forum up in Derry. They were still selling out uh, all these these um, venues up to last year and I know that the band were looking forward I chatted to, to them they were looking forward to getting you know getting the COVID out of the way getting back on the uh, on the road and gigging as well you know so it's a it's it's, it's, it's a very sad day not for, for obviously for Liam the family and close friends but for, for Irish music in general I'm gonna play tried to get you two signed he went into Polydor Records in Dublin and he said we are going to be the next Bagatelle can you imagine that that's a big Bagatelle where you know in Ireland they were absolutely massive I can remember as a kid switching on TV and there was a I think live at the National Stadium Bagatelle concert was on on TV and they were that big and I mean they were big enough to be asked to support Bob Marley in Daily Mount Park when he played and then live at sorry Southside where all the top Irish bands played you know U2 and Van Morrison Bagatelle were on that bill as well and I mean they had some huge you know big names involved in producing their stuff and those names and those record labels would never have got involved if Liam's songs hadn't been absolutely top notch put together I mean he really knew how to put together a song and I remember weirdly years ago, I was, I was studying computers um, in the 80s down in, in a place um, near the Norseman pub. I can remember we were all leaning out the window one day, and there, there come Liam, comes Liam down the road 
and we recognised him and we shouted at him and shouted, give us a line of the summer in Dublin and he did, he shouted a few lines of the song for us. So he was obviously a guy that connected really well with the public. It's, it's all very good being a songwriter, being a great musician, but you have to have that X factor. And um, Liam obviously had that X factor and like all great songwriters, you know, we, we remember his music and his music will be with us for some time to come. In fact, when you think about it, Summer in Dublin is probably up there with Fairy Tale in New York as one of the most iconic uh, Irish songs of all time. I mean, a fabulous band, and they were selling records when, boy, when, when you really did sell records. Think about that, 10,000 copies of a single selling every week. So, massive superstars, a huge loss to us. And I suppose something very 2020 in that about this is that um, a lot of Irish people are obviously stuck abroad this Christmas, and Summer in Dublin was becoming a track that they were playing, you know, in Australia and in Thailand and New Zealand and Canada and all these places when they couldn't come home. So, it's, it's kind of touching that he passes away just, just when his, his track has just come back into to vogue with a whole lot of new fans who, you know, the, the kids basically, and perhaps even the grandkids of the people who were listening to Summer in Dublin in 1980. Ah, uh, yes. Wonderful tributes there to the late Liam Riley. You're listening there to Ken Doyle, bass player with Bagatelle. Brian Kennedy, who I interviewed on this show just before Christmas, the biographer who wrote the book that summer in Dublin. I'm sure that book is going to fly now for him. And of course, Ken Sweeney, showbiz editor with the Irish Sun. And before that, we heard Liam himself there speaking about his formative years and growing up and where the music began. Now, we're continuing with the tribute to Liam this afternoon and if you've anything to say about him do get in touch with us on the show 086-1800-658 you can WhatsApp or text me here to studio or 1850-715-958 if you care to call in I'm joined by two men now who knew Liam Riley better than most Tony O'Kane lived round the corner from him was reared with him in Dundalk knows everything about him and the wonderful Jimmy Smith yes a great friend of late lunch his musical colleague and always in touch with Liam right to the end welcome to the show gentlemen thank you for joining me good to talk to you both this afternoon tony if i could begin with yourself i know you're still living around the corner from liam and you were in touch with him right up to recent days he'd he'd been a little under the weather in recent weeks you were telling me he had just speaking to a few of his friends uh jerry over the last days there now he was too well maybe for the last couple of weeks and I think one or two of them had advised him maybe to go to the doctor, but he put it off uh, reluctantly, you know, and uh, we were stunned with the news on New Year's Day when we heard that he had passed away. It was just unbelievable. I think the town is still in shock over it. Like, you don't expect nowadays to die at 65, you know, so a a terrible tragedy for, for everyone involved in the music industry too, you know. He certainly was one of Dundalk's finest sons when it came to music, Tony, and, and held in that regard by, by so many. I had the privilege and honour of meeting him. It must be about 11 years ago or 12 at this stage. I met him in the fairways one day and did a, a quite an in-depth interview with him. He struck me, Tony, as being, for all his out there and on the stage and brilliance, he was a reserve type of man, wasn't he? He was he was unbelievably reserved, uh, Jerry, because... I first got to know him through uh, the years when I had the Century Baron and Dock, you know, and he'd, he'd come in for his lunch a couple of times a week uh, in with the Times, and he always came in uh, really around the two o'clock mark when most of the people would have uh, finished lunch, and he, he'd sit there, have his lunch, and read the Times for an hour or so, 
And uh, the local area here in Seatown was where he socialised nearly all of his life here in Dundalk. Anyone that knew him, he spent most of his time around the Seatown area, around uh, the bars. Beacons was particularly his home there in uh, in Seatown. And uh, ourselves in Central, we'd see him quite often, and the Castle Bar there when when Des Corbett had it, etc. You know, and he stayed to that locality, and he was very, he was very, very close to his friends, and he held his friends dearly. The ones that he grew up with, he had a band called Changes before um, he had his success with Bagatelle, and he was very loyal to those guys, uh, Brendan and Dermot McCourt and Chris McCabe. Uh, John Jordan is a great friend, songwriter of his who passed away in South Africa. Jim Coyle, a lot of those guys. And he spent most of his life uh, around that little clique of friends, you know, and he was very, very loyal to them. And very happy there and very much at home. I I know that. Fair to say about him, he didn't suffer fools gladly. Absolutely. No way. You couldn't, like, uh, you'd be the last man in the pub now to approach uh, Liam with a few drinks and start praising him and, and uh, getting into conversation about his... Uh, he wouldn't absolutely have no part of it. No, he just liked this nice, quiet corner, and uh, he was sure of the friends he had around him, and that's the way he lived his life. Come in there, Jimmy. Nice to talk to you. The wonderful Jimmy Smith is with us. And, Jimmy, again, you in close contact with him up until really recently. Yeah, we, Liam was a great man for the uh, late night, long Facebook messages, uh, he was uh, he was a very erudite, well-read man, and uh, apart from a very talented uh, fella altogether. So, we, he, uh, anything I'd be doing, like for instance, the stuff I'd been doing with Carrie, he was a big fan of that, and he was constantly trying to get uh, traction for it and get people interested in the states and whatever. And then we would talk about just various things. He would just, at the most random times, send me a very long message. So I'd get into a conversation with it that way. Rang him a few times. I hadn't spoken to him in the last couple of weeks, right enough. And uh, Tony mentioned him there that he had been. Well, I wasn't totally aware of that, to be honest. Uh, I just heard the news like everybody else, but I heard it very early on New Year's Day. Uh, late on New Year's Eve, I heard it first before it was confirmed. Um, yeah, so we know over the years, of course, I've known him since the late 70s, since that Bray scene with Bagatelle. And when they started out first, it was, it was all centered around a place called the Mississippi Rooms in, in Bray. And we used to play there with the bogey boys. And so I knew them all very well at that point. And we were all kind of... And there was all those, like the Bagatelles, the bogeys, the U2, Step Aside. They were all kind of at the same time. Uh, just, you know, trying to gain some traction in, in Ireland and internationally. And mm. Bagatelle broke out very nice. You know, I always kind of... Uh, I spoke about this with Liam too. He was... Liam was dark. He was a very dark man in a lot of ways. He did a lot of... Uh, deep thinker, you know. So... Uh, I just I always found that even though he did huge success, that he never got the recognition he deserved as a as a great songwriter. Yeah, and and you and you feel and you believe you, you said this to me when we were talking earlier that he's in the pantheon of the greats when when it comes to this, and and you feel really he didn't get that as you said there that he was greater than ever the recognition he got. Well, I think I think Ireland is, you know, I don't want to come down on Ireland too strongly, but I think we're very guilty of this, that, you know, Liam wouldn't have been, uh, for some reason, for whatever reason, was not regarded as cool as time went on. And when you write something like somewhere in Dublin, and maybe in in, in his passing, I mean, after his life, 
he will get the, the respect he deserves. Yes. I mean, everybody that ever put pen to paper or tried to write a song, everybody wants to have a big, massive hit, like like Somewhere in Dublin, for instance, a, a classic song that is now in the in the canon of great songs, great Irish songs. And everybody wants that, whether they say it or not, songwriters. Uh, and when you, when you achieve that, uh, like Liam did early on, he was quite young when that happened, um, it's probably across the bear, but it's an albatross around your neck in some ways, and then it's also responsible for a very solid career in other ways. But uh, uh, that's my first thought when I heard that he had died suddenly. I was literally, I had a guitar, I was, I was in my studio, and I, I just started playing somewhere in Dublin. I said, I just, because I've always known that Liam's love of music and his knowledge of inside, he's very knowledgeable of music, he's really a, a historian. On music, he could discuss early music. He could discuss rock and roll, jazz, you name it. He was very, very, uh, uh, as I said, very well read and very yes. well musically educated. So, mm. uh, which is also a great uh, achievement. It's, it's almost like a sleight of hand trick to have a hit record like that. Yeah, and and in this you have, uh, I mean, I what I'm saying is that I picked up the guitar and I played it in the style of maybe Ennio Morricone or something, and I realized. You know, that song, Liam's harmonic, uh, I don't want to talk in two musical terms, but his harmonic complexity in songs that are very accessible actually could be a great orchestral piece. or a, It's a yes. fantastic piece of music. Yeah, yeah, it is. And we're going to hear your uh, version of Summer in Dublin in a moment as we, we oh. finish up. Stay there because I want to just go back to Tony for a moment. In, in, in terms of the outpouring of, of uh, you know, plaudits for him, Tony, and, and the, the grief being felt at the moment with his loss, and I do want to say at this time that we're thinking of his mum, Teresa, his sisters, Evelyn, Barbara, Doreen and Paula, and all of the family at this time, and we extend our sincere sympathies to them on, on their great loss. But this man will always be remembered in terms of Dundalk. When Dundalk has mentioned Liam Riley synonymous with each other, he is... Uh, as I said, one of the greatest sons. He was indeed, but uh, that was one of the things, especially about him. I know from people that were maybe living away from home and wh- wh- wherever he toured, he always made a point of uh, through the night mentioning, "Is there anyone in the audience from yeah. Dundalk?" You know, he had mm. great loyalty to the town, never left us. I know he could have gone off to Dublin, where it would have been more fashionable, maybe for him to live. But no, he stayed with his roots in Dundalk and. He was embedded deeply in uh, in all the local events in Dundalk and loved his music, absolutely loved his music. Mm. He'll uh, live on, surely, for years. When you talk about uh, Jimmy talking about their summer in Dublin, streets of New York, second violin, trump card, we hear all of those there. My God, the talent of the man. It, it was simply amazing. And he's been taken all too young and all too suddenly from us. That's the, the, the real sadness of this time. Uh, Jimmy, just back to you across the just to your colleagues and friends in the music industry. What are you hearing there? Mostly the same thing: I was shock and saddened uh, at the uh, outpouring of shock and sadness. And it, it's, it's you know it's always a little bit of frustration for me that it takes somebody to be taken so suddenly for people to realise that oh okay uh, that you know the shock of that and then I would I would like people to be a little more. Uh, certainly in the industry, to be a little more supportive of our artists, which Liam always was, by the way. Very, very supportive of talent. Um, I 
would like us all to be a little more supportive of people while they're alive, actually, you know what I mean? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm with you there all the way, you know that. I certainly am, and we are here. You are, Joe, you're one of the great supporters. We are here on LMFM Radio, of course we are, and we appreciate all the talent and try to help in any way we can, and we will continue to do that. Anyway, I just want to read a little message I've got here while the two year on. I'm getting lots of messages. Keep them coming to me. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Jerry, my name is May Woods from Dundalk. He was my cousin. His father and my mother were brother and sister. He used to come round and do Irish dancing for us growing up. And he was a born entertainer from no age. I want to send my condolences to his mother, trees and sisters and all of the family. Sums him up from no age, Jimmy. The talent was there. Absolutely. All he had, yeah, as I said, he was on uh, and his... And his uh, the cultist stuff, the piano, the accordion, all of that stuff. He was a, a musical encyclopedia in an awful lot of ways. Oh, listen, and uh, final words to yourself there. Um, Tony, would you like to say something in conclusion about yeah, Liam? Well, uh, Liam and I kept in touch through Facebook over there since, since the lockdown. I would put up a post, uh, uh, do a song mostly every weekend, and we'd be in touch on Saturday night, uh, a bit of banter about everything. But the sad part of this, uh, Jerry, is that he told me he had about over 20 songs ready for recording. And due to the COVID, he, he couldn't get into the studio, etc. And he was looking really forward to having these songs recorded. And such a loss. No, but I, I don't know, will every, anyone take up the mantle and maybe try to find uh, the songs that he, he had ready for recording? It's such a shame that he had so many, uh, as I say, ready to go. And uh, such a loss. Ah, oh, please God, someone will listen. I'm very grateful to both of you, to Tony O'Kane, uh, a good friend of ours as well, and Jimmy Smith. Thank you both, gentlemen. And Jimmy, here you are with your tribute to Liam. It's Summer in Dublin Acoustic. Thank you indeed, both. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Thanks, Jerry. Thank bye you, bye. Jerry.
Now, my first guests on the programme have been making music since, I think, the mid-1970s, and their hits include Trump Card, Summer in Dublin, Second Violin, Love is the Reason, and so on. They're still gigging away and have a large following overseas. They are part Louth and part Wicklow, I think it's fair to say, and I'm delighted to welcome here in studio uh, Liam Riley from Dundalk and Ken Doyle from Bray. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Ken, come right in there on that mic, yeah. Good afternoon to all the listeners as well, and supporters of Bagatelle. Very good. Uh, Liam, I'm going to start with you because you're like, if you like, the local angle on this story. Um, You're from Dundalk. Tell me about where you were born, went to school and so on. I was was actually born and brought up like most kids in in County Loud. I was brought up in a housing estate in Fatima in Dundalk until I was about 16 and we moved to the Abbey Road. Uh, I went to Skull on Bosch in primary school and started playing the harmonica there. And then accordion, and I won several All Ireland titles playing accordion and piano and flat in Ireland. And like, was this part of the school curriculum? You were taught music, or was it just something you just naturally took to? No, I went to uh, Rory Rory Kennedy and his deceased and Brendan Gawker is thankfully still alive. And we enter, entered All Ireland accordion and Kelly band competitions. We were very successful. So I won th- my first one. I was. 13 in 1967 in Enniscorty. So you had the grow for music then? Yeah, well, my dad was a good instrumentalist when he was a kid, and my mum was still singing, singing in choir, and she's 80, 80 something. Very yeah. good. So, uh, you know, as you moved into your teens, like, were you sort of forming bands in your garage and playing in the odd pub, or how did yeah. it develop from there? When we were about 16 or 17, myself and Kevin and Christy and the late John Jordan and Jim Coyle found a band called Changes. And we we just played the local circuit and mad into the Beatles and all the usual David Bowie and learned everything, 10cc, the BGs, all that stuff. And did you play in, uh, was it the Quinn family had that ballroom there in the centre of town in Dundalk? Yeah, we played the Imperial every Sunday night in the local rugby club and, you know. Sure. And there was, a, was there another ballroom out in uh, Black Rock? We never played that. That was more of a show band venue, the pavilion in Black Rock, but... Um, we just enjoyed it. Was, it was carefree because we all had day jobs and, and it was just for fun, you know, there was no pressure. And playing the hits of the day, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Ken Doyle, you're from Bray. I mean, was your start into music similar? Um, my start into music was, uh, like all kids, listening to the, the Beatles and the Stones and all on the radio. Uh, I've always loved music. I used to go to... Uh, watch James Bond movies because uh, the soundtrack was great. Not that the movie was great necessarily, but the soundtrack was always quite incredible. You were attracted by the music rather yeah. than the plot. And it wasn't really... It, music was such a natural thing to me that I loved it so much. And never, it never occurred to me to actually play it. You know, it just kind of like... It was something that was there. Until one fateful day, my brother brought home a little banjo and that started all of us going. The whole family went mad then and started playing. So all my, my other two... My brother Martin's a... Great musician. He also makes flutes and exports them all over the world. You know, the wooden flutes out of different timbers. And my brother Jerry's a great musician as well. He's a great fiddle player, guitar player, singer, everything. So, similar story to Liam. It's the 60s. Uh, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Cliff Richard and the like are making the scene in England and everybody would like to be them. Uh, so, you're what? Doing the, the gigs locally in Bray and, and North Wicklow? And we, when we did finally get to gig, we were gigging in, in pubs, just uh, playing traditional music. No PAs or anything. You know, just have a session. Yeah, sure, yeah. And from that, it just developed... <coughs> That um, I was in I was in Dublin one day with more money than sense, and I saw this lovely <laughs> cherry 
335 Liam laughed because I think he's implying nothing's changed <laughs> I think Liam's right <laughs> I didn't but uh, <laughs> it's like a 335 uh, Gibson body shape and it looked uh, beautiful cherry red and everything like that and I just bought this thing I don't know I think it was about 20 20 pound at the time and I brought it home but then you realise you have no amplifiers or anything like that and that's how much how little we knew you know a lot of people might take you just plug it into the wall and it goes sure. <laughs> you get some shock when you do that yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and it, this friend of mine brought me up to the house where these friends of his were, had they just had amps that they used to jam around and they showed me a few bass lines and I picked them up fairly quickly and then within a week we did our first gig down in Greystones in a place that was called the Woodlands Hotel it's gone now it's, it's a house in the state or something now and that's where that was the first uh, what do you call it venture into the, the electric world sure so both of you then had a similar start the local gigs the pubs the, the local ballrooms the weddings the 21st birthday parties the like all that sort of stuff <coughs> yes definitely Indeed. It was a party on as well. We were had a band called the Doyles, the three of us, myself, Martin, and Jerry, and we'd be called out to play at everything. Sure. You know, and it was now said so there was no PAs or anything. You just came in and played in people's houses and stuff like that for yeah. fun. Uh, by the way, if you do want to send in a text with a question, text LMFM to five three nine five eight. Put your question and your name or where you're from in it. That's LMFM uh, to five three nine five eight. So Liam, um, at what stage did you start writing songs? Very early, when I was about 13 or 14, I think I wrote my first uh, first song. Uh, I think I fancied some young man on school. I wrote it about her. We're still friends. So I wrote my first song when I was about 13 or 14. And once you wrote the song, I mean, did the desire to have it recorded by a big name uh, sort of uh, play around in your mind? Did you know how to go about the process of getting a song to a big name or... No. Was it just, uh, you know, something you wanted to do and sing yourself? It never occurred to me about recording or anything. Just, I was always English, English fanatic, reading books. And I think it's contributed to my bad eyesight these days, because I started, you know, when lights out time, mum and dad would say, that's enough. Be reading under the covers with a bicycle lamp, you know, I was just a mad reader. But right. it's only in later years then that I decided to start putting pen to paper. And I didn't realise that I knew the structure of songs. Yeah, it's a little skill all on its own. It is, but I didn't know it was a skill. I thought it was natural that everyone could do it. Yes, yes, yes. But it and came natural to you. Well, I think because I, I listened to the Beatles and everything else, you, you form a, there's a formulaic thing that you learn, like riding a bicycle, that you don't realise you're learning. That's it. Okay, we're going to take a song, and I'm going to come then to the creation of Bagatelle and how it all took off and, and how it changed your respective lives. Uh, Liam, we're going to play a song that you wrote but wasn't recorded by Bagatelle and it's a song called The Flight of Earls. Now this song uh, to me is uncanny because it was a hit about 30 years ago and yet the sentiment in the song is, is, is as applicable today as it was then. It was as if like this song was written yesterday but in fact I think one or two parents will shed a tear when they listen to this song because uh, parents who've seen their sons and daughters emigrate will just say how bizarre this is and yet the politicians learn nothing from it. So we'll talk to you about this song but we're going to listen to it first this is the wolf tones and the flight of earls <laughs> 
Okay, you are listening to The Late Lunch with myself, Ken Murray. My guests are Liam Riley of Bagatelle from Dundalk and Ken Doyle, also of Bagatelle. Liam, we were listening there to The Flight of Earls and I was saying how uncanny it was that the sentiment in that song then applies to today. Did you think when you wrote that song that it would have, if you like, a similar meaning 30 years on? I didn't, and I'm sorry that it does. Um, at the time, I was referring to the brain drain from Ireland of educated people. And I was trying to make the analogy with the flight of earls from up in Rathmullen and Loxwilly, who went to fight in Europe everywhere but for Ireland. That's right, in Donegal, yeah. Yeah, so, and this has happened so so many times that people come up to me at gigs and women mostly and just say, you know, why did you write that song? I have a son in Australia and all that. Well, you know, I think it all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But uh, there's one time, my partner's a school teacher and she's from the west of Ireland, Cross Malina. And last summer, uh, there were two busloads of peop- of kids after the leaving cert. Two busloads going to Shannon, 70 kids going to Australia from that one area. My God, that's extraordinary. It's a whole generation mm. gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to, uh, we stopped off, I think, at the mid-70s when, when we played that song. Uh, Ken, how did you end up meeting with Liam and how did Bagatelle come about? Um... <clears throat> well, I was in a previous band called The Boulder Band and Liam actually used to come down and listen to The Boulder Band and we actually didn't know his, we didn't know Liam by, as, as Liam but if there was a piano at any of the gigs we'd play and the last couple of songs Liam would get up and just jam along with us on the piano and uh, eventually when we were, lo- we were looking for a piano player you know, like a piano player at the time really and uh, that's how we, we got introduced to Liam because we were looking for a piano. We had tried a few before, but they, they didn't work out for different reasons. And then when, uh, when Liam came in, <laughs> we were thinking of ourselves, like, he, sure, he practically knows the set at this stage, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah. he had been kind of jamming with us. So it was pure chance then, wasn't it? It was pure chance, really, yeah. You asked about Wally McConville earlier on. Uh, it was actually Wally. I, I had I'd been working for BP Chemicals Ireland in Dunleary and hadn't been playing music at all. I just had a sabbatical year off. And Wally told the guys, I know a guy in Dundalk who can play. Oh, that's right, yeah. There's only one I arrived in Dublin and said, it's the same guy, you know. Right. And right. I went to John O'Brien's house. John's the founder member with the guitarist with Ken. He's the other member of Bagatelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, uh, John says, what is he going to play? I said, do any of the Boulder Band songs, because I know them all. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I just sure. jammed that's in. That's right. And that's I mean, so you know that way when just something just in, immediately just works. It right. It just worked per- perfectly. Now, uh, we were having a chat before we came on air about the word bagatelle. Uh, it has several <laughs> meanings. It means, in French Canada, it means trifle. Um, I think it means it's also a billiards game, and it can also mean a short piece of music. Uh, how did you pick the name? What was the significance of the name? Um, we didn't have a name and we fought like Billy over the name we couldn't come everyone had their own take on different names and uh, you know like this name it's a very hard thing to name a band really to kind of capture what you're trying to do and also I think it's hard to name a baby or that I found it very difficult anyway with the two kids I have to pick a name for them because some mm. names would remind you of things that say oh jeez I couldn't name them that because of this or whatever yeah yeah sure yeah but uh, our founding father John O'Brien was uh, sitting down <laughs> he booked a gig in the the Bagot Inn and the guy said no problem we'll be, you know that's fine uh, what's the name of the band he said well we don't really have a name at the moment he said, well, I can't book a band he must be thinking you're a right bunch of chances he, 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 well he kind of knew us but he said I can't do it without a name and as he was talking to him 
the postman went by and put in the mail through his letterbox because he's down in the hall. You know these little phone tables he used to have. There was yeah, a, yeah, a yeah, place yeah. for the phone book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he lifted up the mail, and there was if you buy these LPs, classical LPs, we will give you the Bagatelle Suite for free. The Bagatelle Suite. It's a, like a Beethoven or Mozart, is it? Both yes, them, yes, both yes. Them are classical but music. Bagatelle Suite. And and yeah. uh, he just saw the name and he just said. Right, uh, Bagatelle. He said, how do you spell that? Okay, we advertise Thursday night or whatever like that. That's and then cool. he rang us all up and said, I put, it, I got the name Bagatelle, what do you think? And we all said, just love it right. straight away. Go he said, it. actually, there's a billiard game down on the Strand in Bray, which is Bagatelle, with the little wooden mushrooms. mushrooms. Liam, I want to move on then. So Bagatelle is formed, you're gigging around in Dublin. Uh, at what stage then d- does the, the songwriting get serious to the point where Polydor Records take an interest? Well, first of all, we had a female singer called Marion Byrne who was going out with a, uh, a cop from New York. And she then decided to leave the band and go with um, Bob to, to the States. So, ironically, the first night John O'Brien was to come and hear the band in the Sportsman's Inn, I became the lead singer by by proxy. <laughs> so I had to learn all the songs. And we were doing rhythm and blues and, and a few original songs. Uh, one of them being Summer in Dublin and have Highway Blues and John's, a couple of John songs. Like, it's very hard to remember that. We didn't actually form t- till... 1978, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, the, then John O'Brien, or John, John Woods brought Oliver Barry to the gig in the Sportsman's. And oh, they both. Uh, he was the Wolf Tones manager. He and, was, yeah. And I think he looked after, was it Gina Dale Hayes? And the champions, champions yeah. yeah. He did, yeah. yeah. But he was very, very, very expert. And so the first thing he did was he expressed an interest in the original songs, and John, John Woods did too. So Oliver Barry just cancelled all the little gigs that we had booked all over Ireland and put the band on the road on tour in 1980. And we went to the studio to record an album down in Sussex, in Hastings. And we uh, borrowed 50 quid from the producer to get home <laughs> on the ferry. <clears throat> and we got so to things jo- were tough then? Well, we got to oh, John yeah. O'Brien's house. We had a jar of gherkins and a sliced pan for our dinner. My God. Yeah. And then we did the Little Late Show, and then we got a number one. <laughs> well, you, you got a number one somewhere in Dublin, I presume. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if I come back to you, Ken Doyle, um, did the Late Late Show make it happen, or was the song getting play anyway? The song was getting play, a, a lot of play. We actually got our first standing ovation in Minis in Dungarvan, and we looked at each other in total surprise to say, what's going on here? Because we'd play that song, and it would just be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all this kind of stuff. But yeah. that was the first time there was actually a reaction to it. And of course, when RTE, like like they still do, when something is hot, they jump on it. And why not? That's exact. That's how it works. Sure, sure. And next thing they had us in. And uh, after we did the Late Late Show, though, I have to say the power of the Late Late Show. Oh, yes. It's, it's the, the show. The next day, I, when I'd be doing my usual out walking my dog on the strand, and everybody was around saying, So in the Late Late Show. And I thought, Well, the power of the Late Late Show. Oh, yeah. It's, just, it's yeah. really huge. Yeah. But, Liam, I mean, the song itself, is it a true story? Yeah, it's a one day, a day in a life was the same. So what, you were on a bus in Dublin and this drunk was giving you grief? No, I was in Moran's Hotel oh, the I night. was not. I, I was in the night before <laughs> 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 I was in Moran's Hotel the night before watching an unknown band called the Boomtown Rats and the next day I was walking past Trinity and up into Grafton Street and buses used to come down Grafton Street. There was traffic so in Grafton Street until 1985 apparently. Yeah, yeah. Bus, I, I was singing Rock and Roll Never Forgets Bob Seger. Oh, right. Which I'd heard the night before, the, the DJ playing. Right. 
and I was nearly creased by a bus going into Suffolk Street. It was nearly road pizza, you know. Right, right, right. And then I just went out. So I lived in number two, Leeson Street, and got the guitar and got the 46A and to go out to Dunleary. And there was some guy on the bus telling me, you know what you should do with that and all, you know, telling well, me. If I was you, I'd if be doing this, you. that and the other. <laughs> and you, you make a fortune. All that stuff. <laughs> and I ended up They're at out the, there, yeah. the end of Dunleary Pier and I wrote that song, that's it. And, I mean, when the song took off, I mean, you guys must have been really surprised at how the public <laughs> took Surprise a show. Surprise is not the word. Absolutely. It's uh, uh, astounded, really. I mean, you know the way, it was a song on the programme. I mean, we all liked it when Liam played it for us anyway. We thought it was very interesting and very unusual. But uh, we didn't imagine at all that it would get legs like it has. I mean, that song is really... Uh, I mean, last uh, summer, because we had a good summer, it was back three times in the iTunes charts. You know, thanks to a big promotion by 2FM. Uh, Will Lee, he did a, a thing where he had everybody download the lyrics. And at five o'clock on Friday, everybody had to sing the song. Um, I was driving up, we were heading for Port Rush doing a gig, and all along the M50, you could see people in their cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the song obviously still connects. Well, you know, when we're abroad now, Summer in Dublin is the real anthem, and for that five minutes, it brings people back to Ireland because a lot of people have said to us over the years that they've had their own Summer in Dublin. Okay, Ken Doyle and Liam Riley of Bagatelle are with me here in studio. Uh, we'll have another chat with them about life since Summer in Dublin after this short break. Okay, we're back talking to Liam Riley and Ken Doyle of Bagatelle talking about hits and life. Uh, Ken Doyle, I'll come back to you. So, Summer in Dublin is get what gets on the Late Late Show. Things begin to take off. You're getting airplay all over the place, and I I take it the song is selling like the proverbial hotcakes oh, in the subsequent weeks. In its droves, it's just flying it, flying it in its droves. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, it took us totally by surprise as well. We weren't expecting... You know, nobody expects something like that to happen. It just it just happened. It just connected with the public. Thanks to... Thanks to... And still thanks to the, the public. Uh, thanks for 36 years at this stage. Sure. You know? Liam, uh, I mean, uh, I take it then the gigs were coming in hot, fast and heavy. The way we, we, we started to do what the old show bands were doing uh, years before, we had... A gig in Pontoon, which is in an old ballroom, and there were yeah. 3,500 others. The Oasis out in Cry across about 2,000. Those kind of numbers coming to gigs. Uh, in fact, one gig in Pontoon, we had to walk, park the car a mile away and walk to the gig ourselves. It's amazing, yeah. And it caused the biggest traffic jam that was murder about it. Yeah. Hell, but, let loose. But also, the, we had uh, uh, very few bands were writing material, original material, about Ireland. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, in an, <coughs> with an Irish accent, you know. Yeah, sure, sure, that? yeah. Because yeah. before that, all you had was, you had the Fresh Band and Dickie Rock and Joe Dole and God rest of and all the boys, you know. Yeah, so Summer in Dublin then, is, as you say, is flying out of the shops and it's been played all over the place and the gigs are coming in and that's great. Um, at this stage, is Polydor Records saying, listen lads, any chance of another song? Or was there pressure on you to deliver a second one? They're always looking for more songs. Always. They'll always want more and more and more. And uh, <clears throat> coincidentally, uh, Liam uh, came up with this idea from Summer in Dublin, from the the music sheets where it said first violin, second violin. Oh, right. And that's where he got the idea for that song. And he wrote that song, I think it was half an hour or something, wasn't it? I was waiting for you guys to pick me that's up. That's right, yeah. Long for Taurus. And you should have had this. And of course, when John Woods heard it, John had huge eyebrows. We used to <laughs> yeah. put the hands up like yeah, this. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. Release it immediately. <laughs> yeah. 
and because you, 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 your profile was up then from somewhere in Dublin, you were getting airplay, airplay then with uh, Second Violin, yeah? Actually, ironically, the first song that we ever recorded and was released, very bad version of Trump Card, I think it sold 400 copies. And I think our parents probably bought them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uncles and aunties, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Payola, payola. But, but it was not some 1980 was the kicker. And uh, also a friend of mine in Dundalk called Hugh McKittrick. Hugh uh, kindly brought me into a studio in Castle Blaney and paid for the recording of me to see. Hugh McKittrick, the Hugh, DJ, yeah, BA. Yes. Barry Andrews or whatever it was. Or whatever. Yeah. I vaguely remember him. Well, Hugh's yeah. a good guy. And he deserves all credit because he brought me into. Tom, big Tom studio in Castleblaney to do up in Bree, somewhere mm. in Dublin, and what was it, truck driving man or something else? So she actually got the first recording that John ever heard, John Woods. But it was after that that we had started to write. John O'Brien and was a very pro prolific writer as well. Sure, sure, sure. And I mean, at this stage too, is there interest coming in from beyond Ireland for you to play in London or New York or Boston or wherever the Irish are? Yep, definitely a lot of uh, first of all from from the north the north of Ireland and Northern Ireland whatever um, we were afraid to go up there because of all the trouble that was happening that was time. around the time of the H-blocks and all that stuff oh, that's the that hunger strike really, really yeah. uh, I think it was 1981 we finally got the courage together and it was very very tender courage I have to say yeah. and, and of course this was coming on the back of the Miami show band massacre all that type of thing yeah, yeah. and we got uh, we were met we, we had a southern car to the border, picked, changed cars to a northern car, and then driven to a place called Knocknamo Hotel in Oma, Knocknamo Castle, and we had our first gig up there, and we just were blown away by We never looked back. We've been playing it ever since. Yeah, and, and like, uh, am I right in saying, Liam, that um, there have been periods where you're actually you're more popular in the north than you are down here, or you're getting bigger numbers? I think it's easy to say that uh, second violin was put into the Irish charts by the people who purchased it in Northern Ireland obviously because of the regional aspect of it Yeah. but we played Derry only a week ago and we, we recently did the uh, Be Belfast Nashville Songwriters Festival and we got amazing uh, uh, welcome and, and reviews from that and we played Northern Ireland quite often um, they seem very enthusiastic for, for, for Bagatelle yeah. and I'm not saying the rest of the country isn't but there's a certain different vibration I, just, uh, I mean all our audiences are great and they're great they have been great supporters and they've kept us going for 36 years right but the, the people I would say the, the, <clears throat> the people of Derry definitely have the X factor they're, they're an amazing supporters sure uh, Ken let me ask you this question uh, because I was reading up on notes on you um, yesterday because of the fame and the profile and the success you, you enjoyed in the early 80s uh, is it true you got to work with a lot of big international names? I saw Bob Marley's name coming up on a list somewhere. We did indeed. Uh, what uh, other names can you rattle off there? Well, Susie and the Banshees. Uh, God, it's a while ago now. Tom McLean. Tom McLean. Uh, um, Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. Glenn Campbell. Uh, Rita Coolidge. I mean, there's so many, you know. I forget half the I mean, uh, from David Gates. We did. David we did Gates. Of bread. Yeah. But we blew them away. I mean, I, I have no regret in saying that. Most of the gigs, except for Bob Marley, we won the watch because Bob Marley's band was so brilliant. John, uh, Ronnie Lane of Slim Chance, Ronnie from The Faces. And we Wings. All, yeah, Wings fame, yeah. We were down in the dugout underneath the stand and we went out to hear the sound check and it was just blown away. And we asked the promoter at the time, Paddy Egan, is it? Uh, Oliver actually and Pat the yeah. two of them partnership 
And I said, I'll look at this, the, the crowds. And he said, you'll have your day, don't worry. Yeah. And yeah. we eventually did end up playing in front of 20 and 30,000 people. But we never went to our heads. We, we just, we just right. enjoyed it. We I remember so when we were doing... Yeah, I, I, I want to roll things on because we're, we're up against the clock okay. here. Um, um, in terms of Bagatelle International, I mean, where have you played beyond Ireland that might surprise people? Oh, um... We've been in 38 states in yeah. America for a start. 38 yeah. in the US. That's yeah. quite a lot. Um, That's nearly the whole place, yeah. We played in Macau when it was Portuguese. Macau is off China, isn't it's it? It's on the Chinese coast, yeah. yeah. We've played Dubai. Dubai. We, 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 we've, played a, uh, we've played Saudi Arabia in Riyadh and we're actually back again for the retirement party of the Irish ambassador. He wants oh, nice his favourite band, nice who is... Bagatelle. Thank you, Ambassador. Yes, mm. nice one, nice one. So th is there a generation of Irish people out there, whether they're in Canada, America, Australia, who, you know, were in Ireland around 1980-81 and this song connects with them, they go to see it because it brings back memories of their youth, or will they go to see any Irish band because they're starved of Irish bands? Uh, well, I think they would go to see Irish band. Irish people are great supporters, uh, you know, especially if they're abroad or that. But, I mean, they definitely come for the songs, because they were just explaining to us that some of the bands that went out there were tune bands, if you know what I mean, and they had no songs, but it didn't work. They, okay. they want the song, and the other thing about it is... Yeah. Okay, Liam, we're, we're running out of time. Uh, I want to talk to you about another great song you wrote, The, the Streets of New York, which mm. was a big hit for the Wolf Tones. Uh, when you wrote this song, did you say, I'm going to write this song for the Wolf Tones, or did you say, I'm going to write this song and I'll offer it to a publisher and the publisher will go to the Wolf Tones and say, listen, lads, are you interested in this one? And they went, yes. Or how did it get from Liam Riley's desk to the Wolf Tones record? This is actually one I actually did write because I was commissioned to write for that band. Uh, I was giving Tommy Bourne a hard time one day about singing Republican songs and all this. You know, yeah, yeah, big sure. mouth as usual. And he said, why don't you write one for us? So I wrote The Streets of New York and I think that I did that in about an hour and a half. I was so excited about the story because I didn't know which way the story was going to end. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, that's why there's no chorus in that song either because it was just scribble, scribble, sure. scribble. Yeah. I gave it to Oliver Barry and he said, the boys will record that. And they had huge success with it. They went out to New York and played it for the PBA, which is the Policeman's Benevolent Association. And it's now the official anthem of the Emerald Society, which is the NYPD's association. My God, that's amazing. They gave uh, a little presentation plaque there two years ago, which we have on our wall. Uh, in, in, we're grateful, as a great, they're so grateful for the song, because the song means so much to them. Sure, sure. And is it a true story? No, but after it was released, a week after it was released, there was an Irish lieutenant shot in New York and it was the front of the Evening Herald. My God. I remember my father, God rest him, he said, where did you get that idea? I said, I have no idea. My God, I feel it was a medium, you know. Right, well, Flight of Earls, the streets of New York, you seem to be prophetic in the way you write songs. Well, unfortunately, I'm about to do them, yeah. one, one last question for both of you, because we are running out of time. Thank uh, Bagatelle, you're gigging away at the moment. What does the next year hold for you? Well, uh, a, uh, our record company have ju are just on the verge of releasing a box set, three album box set of songs. Um, and did plenty, of, plenty. Thanks to the support of the, our supporters, plenty of work in from different parts of the world, and we're looking forward to going. Okay. Yeah. Liam, I, I'm just going to say thanks a million. I was going to ask you about the Eurovision experience because that's where I first met you out in Croatia. That's right, uh, I remember uh, Yes, so uh, unfortunately the clock has beaten us but I just want to say thanks a million for coming in. I could spend an hour talking to you about the music scene of the, the early 1980s. That's uh, Liam Riley and Ken Doyle of Bagatelle and to play us out on this interview we're going to listen to Bagatelle from, is it 1980? Yes.
and that iconic hit, Summer in Dublin. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.